0: shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world. And the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and yet his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I had the uh, honor and privilege of teaching some some young uh, Padawans of mine in in ancient uh, Indiana art, and that that art is basketball. I love basketball, and I love teaching. And so I have had the best time uh, the past couple of years coaching um, some, some seventh graders how to play this, this Indiana special event basketball. And, you know, it's really fitting that basketball season comes in the winter, that it's a winter sport, um, because winter is when we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, but before Christmas is Advent. And Advent is is the season of waiting. Advent requires a lot of patience. And whether you know anything about basketball or not, if you've ever worked with young people, you know that working with young people requires an immense amount of patience. I don't know if you have them of your own, or if you've taught them, or goodness, if you've seen them in a grocery store. It takes a lot of patience to work with young people. And those of you who do know basketball know that this is a complex art. This is a beautiful thing when it's done correctly. When it's done incorrectly, it just hurts me on the inside. I've got a picture that might show you a little bit of what I've been working through. So, we're uh, on a Saturday morning. This is Eli, and Eli gave me uh, permission to share this picture. But it's a Saturday morning, we're at North Miami. Uh, junior senior high school at a tournament and we get done with our first game it was a win which is really rare for us so we were really excited and I said okay guys like we're gonna sit here we're gonna put the phones away we're gonna focus on the other guys there's a lot that you can learn from watching this game so so zoom in and I'm talking to the guy next to me did you see that that was a pick and roll oh did you see that he followed a shot he got the rebound that's what I want you to do and then I get a tap on the shoulder coach look I made a little man Awesome. Good job, Eli. It wouldn't be as bad if Eli wasn't uh, on our starting five. Like he's 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 a solid player. Uh, it's just the attention deficit. Uh, but you know it, it's fitting because Advent is all about patience. You know, Advent simply means coming. Advent is a word that means coming or arrival. And in the season of Advent, we are waiting for the coming of Christ, the Messiah, God's true King, our Savior, our Liberator, our Healer. And in this season of Advent, we we wait. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be uh, reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through Twenty-three, where Matthew documents the moment that we've been waiting for—that all of God's people for thousands of years have been waiting for. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew documents the, the birth of this Savior when uh, the Messiah entered the world. That birth could also be translated the the Genesis, the beginning of the Messiah. Matthew is tracing his story all the way back to the beginning of God's story in Genesis, that this is the new beginning for God's people. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit jesus because he will save his people from their sins all of this took place to fulfill what the lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means god with us the word of the lord please be seated This is the moment we've been waiting for, for the coming of our Savior, for the coming of God with us. Now, I know this is a little confusing, because in Advent, yeah, we're we're waiting for Christmas Day, but we're still waiting. We, the people of God, 2,000 years after Christ's birth, are still waiting. O come, O come, Emmanuel, is still our song. That though we celebrate on the day, December 25th, we celebrate the fact that God has come to dwell with us, that God has come, our Savior, our Healer, our Liberator, and that the kingdom of God is here, we still wait because we know, church, that Christ is coming again. That though Christmas time is an exciting time and it's a celebratory time, we know that there's still darkness here. We know that there's still work for God to do. And can I just tell you, friends, that he is not finished? Can you hear that this morning, that Jesus is not finished with you? Whatever your darkness is, Jesus is not finished. Loneliness, pain anxiety. Jesus is not finished. He is not finished writing your story because he is coming again. So we cry with the rest of God's people, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. God, we need you to come. Jesus Christ, Come and make things right, because the world is still messy. And scripture tells us that the enemy still has authority here. And that is the source of all of our pain, all of our suffering. Everything that's wrong with the universe is a result of our own sin, and the enemy comes in and tries to steal and kill and destroy everything that God has made that is good. And we are walking around in a perverse and twisted generation and everything is just twisted. It's, this started so good and now it's been perverted and it's wrong and it's causing havoc in our communities and we need Jesus to come. That's Advent. That's what we mean by Advent. And so we wait. We wait. But don't hear me wrong, church. We don't wait for the second coming of Christ by sitting on our hands, playing cards, run out the clock situation. No. No, we, we wait by following the teaching of the scriptures. In short, it's very simple. We wait for Jesus by living like Jesus. We wait for Jesus by living like Jesus. This is really what discipleship means. And it's high time the church understand that discipleship means that we have learned from our apprentice, our master, our teacher, and we change whatever is in us that is different from him and we orient it towards him and we follow him with everything we have. That we don't just view Jesus' words as kind teachings that sound really like idealistic and, and too good to be true. No, we believe that in faith, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, our lives can change and we can become like him. Let me put it this way, friends. Jesus didn't die for you to be a better person. Jesus died for you to live like him. And the world is hungry for the church to live as Christ lived when he was here with us. And we have the testimony of what it looked like. And and this is what is required of each of us. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is this, this Christ hymn that just elevates Christ in such a beautiful way, but, but before Christ's exaltation is his humiliation. And Paul says we need to join in that mindset. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have this same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant excuse me, this translation, the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is our call. If we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our lives will look radically different by the way that we do not consider ourselves in privilege, but any privilege we have, we are willing to abandon it. In life and in death, God is their source of life and the desire of our heart. And that's what this Advent series is all about. That's, that's what we're trying to communicate. These, these four symbols behind me represent Uh, four weeks of Advent that we've been walking through as a church. And, And week one was worship fully. Week two, spend less. Week three, this week is give more. And next week on Christmas Day, love all. All of these are rooted in the personhood of God himself. Because again, While we wait, we wait for Jesus by living like Jesus, and so these are all modeled for us by Jesus Himself. And today, we're going to walk through give more through the eyes, through the lens of how Jesus Christ lived and died. So we're raising the bar because if we're talking about giving, there is no one who has outgiven Jesus Christ. He gave it all, did he not? And we are grateful for this gift. Now, I know this might be a little confusing because last week, Joel preached, spend less, and that's what these coins represent, and today, we're talking give more, and Joel last week uh, did an excellent job of communicating, like, when we say spend less, we're talking about even specifically spend less money on gifts for other people, like, spend less money on presents, spend less money on stuff that doesn't matter, and so now, I'm turning around and saying, give more, and it's okay Joel right like this was the plan here's what we're talking about spend less money on presents give more of your presence spend less money this Christmas on presents it's not too late and give more of your presence this week Understand that the greatest gift you could give any human being, either a loved one or a random person you meet at the store, the greatest gift you could give to them this week is you present with them. I mean fully present with them. We learn this from God himself, right? The greatest gift God ever gave was himself. God with us, present with us. Us, in our pain and in our joy, in our highs and in our lows, God is present with us. And this is the greatest gift he's ever given. So we're talking about give more, and this is through the lens of living as as Christ did. and, And we have to understand that God is a giver. At the very core of his being, giving is what God does. Giving is who he is. He's not a reluctant giver. He's not... Uh, half-hearted giver, but out of the essence of his being is blessing. He loves giving good gifts. Understand today that everything that you have was given by God. This is part of the Christian worldview that we miss sometimes because our pervasive culture is so strong, and they throw us messages like you earned it. They throw us messages like you deserve it. Folks, I'm here to tell you, everything you have, you did not earn. Everything you have, you do not deserve. But it has been given to you by God himself. I know that may come as a shock to you, but this is the testimony of scripture. And we know it to be true logically, even when we think about life itself. That breath you just took. The heart inside your chest that is still beating. Forcing blood through your veins, reaching all the way to your fingertips and your toes. The fact that long ago, for some of us longer than others, you were born. The fact that before that, God gave this gift to your mother and your father to conceive that God gave an egg cell and a sperm cell and the ability to create Life within your mother's womb. God gave that to humanity. We did not earn that. We do not deserve that, but God gave this gift. And the very fact that you are sitting here or with us online is proof that God is a good giver. And I might say that even in our recklessness and our just, our continual perversion Of human sexuality, God has not taken that gift from us. He has still chosen to give us the gift of creating, joining with Him in creation and procreating. It's amazing. God is an amazing giver. But, like I said before, the greatest gift God ever gave was Himself. Even beyond everything that's in your pantry the bed that you're able to sleep on, the roof over your head, the family that you have, whatever that looks like, God has given you himself. And not just a teaspoon, not just a portion, he has poured himself out for you. In the person of Jesus and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift God ever gave was himself. And I I just, I want us today to receive that. My prayer for this morning is twofold, that, that we would receive that, and we'll, we'll get to application of that later, that, again, we, we're raising the bar. We're called to live as God lived. But, but can we just bask in that? The Lord God Almighty is with us. Wherever you go, the God who sustains the universe by the word of His power is with you. Every breath. That you take, the Holy Spirit is there, nearer than your very breath. His grace and His mercy and love even pervades the very air that we breathe. God with us. We pray that you would receive that this morning, that you would receive it and then in turn pour it out. Because that's what Christ did, and we are called to live like Christ. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk practically about what the incarnation looked like. The incarnation is the moment that God became flesh, that God came to be with us. And I want to look at some practical ways that it looked like when Jesus lived, when God became flesh, when God lived a human life just intersected in the midst of everyone else living their lives. And I want to see if there's anything that we can learn from that and put into practice this week. That we have one more week until Christmas and and it's not too late to give more. To give more. So we're going to look at the four Ps of the Incarnation. The four Ps of the Incarnation. And to do this, we're going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew. And so the first one we're going to look at is found in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 is a very famous passage of scripture, and it's, it's, it's our commission. It's, it's our marching orders. This is uh, what's often called the Great Commission. Um, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says this. This is after Christ's resurrection from the dead. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now don't miss this part. And surely I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age. Matthew is... uh, a brilliant writer and he sets up this perfect uh, inclusio it's called it's like a bookends at the beginning of Matthew as we read earlier this morning God with us Emmanuel at the birth of Christ at the end of Matthew at the end of Jesus' earthly reign right before he ascended into heaven what did he say I am with you Studiers of the Bible know that I am is God's eternal name. That he is the uncreated one, the ever existed one. When God revealed himself first to the Israelites, it was through a burning bush. When Moses uh, walked up to it, he turned his head and was like, what is going on? And, and the Lord says, take your shoes off, Moses. This is holy ground. He calls him to be a deliverer for Israel. And Moses says, well, what is your name? And God says, I am. And Jesus, after his resurrection, the final triumph over anything that our enemy may try to have hold against us, he stomped that completely. And he said, I am with you. The first P of the incarnation is presence itself. (laughs) We've been talking about presence all day, but let us not miss the fact that Jesus Christ, I am the uncreated one, is present with us. And let's not miss the fact, now on the application side, that as I said before, the greatest gift you could give to anyone is you present with them. Now I mean fully present. Let me just cut to the chase and tell you what I mean. If there is a screen, you're not fully present. I, I hope you'll forgive me if you're watching online, and I'm, I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad you're with us. And I'm glad that we have the gifts of FaceTime. I'm glad that we have the gifts of the internet. I'm grateful to God for these things. But I'm telling you, there is nothing that, is, that equates human presence, face-to-face, eye contact, a handshake, a hug, body language. There is nothing that can replicate human presence. Why? Because God has gifted us with the very image of himself. He has gifted us with his Holy Spirit. And when we are present with one another, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That when we are truly present with another, something incredible happens. We're acting like Jesus. So be present this week. Go to your child's recital. And don't video it. You'll get video from someone else, trust me. (laughs) Just watch. Just be there. Go to a basketball game. Go to that friend's Christmas party. Go to that not so much friend's Christmas party. Be present. Say hi to your parents. Say hi to the people you don't like. And if that's the same person, it's okay. (laughs) Be present. Be present. The second P of the incarnation is proximity. Now we're getting to the, the meat and potatoes. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 8, if you're following along. This is in the midst of Jesus' ministry, the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And what did he do? He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That's two Isaiah quotes in one day. It's a good day. Jesus totally broke the boundaries of what proximity means, because in his culture, sickness, And certainly demon possession and sin are things that you avoid. Not just morally, but spatially. We physically avoid these things. And Jesus does the unthinkable. And he walks up to Peter's mom and he touches her. It's elsewhere documented, all throughout scripture, the touch of Jesus Christ. you got to be close to somebody to touch him. I'm not that close to you all. It requires proximity, and Jesus, time and time again, didn't just find himself, but intentionally placed himself in spaces of close proximity with people that no one else would get near. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the adulterers, the sick, the demon-possessed, Jesus walked through his life intentionally to be in places of proximity with those who needed the very presence of God. And it's a shame that those who needed it the most found the people of God distancing themselves. And Jesus said, listen, I'm here to reverse that. Proximity. I have a question. Who in your life have you put distance between? Is it a specific human person? Is it a group of people? Who have you put distance in between? And I believe Jesus would want you to ask yourself, how can you close that distance with the proximity of Christ? How can you close that distance with the proximity of Jesus? The next P is powerlessness. This one might be a little tougher to swallow. Matthew chapter uh, 26. This is uh, nearing the end of the story where Christ is about to be crucified. And Jesus knows he's about to be crucified, but thanks be to God, the crucifixion isn't the end of the story. The resurrection is the end of the story. But before the resurrection comes death. And Jesus knows what it's going to look like for him. He knows that just around the corner is his dear friend, Judas, who he spent three years with, who had just turned his back on him and was about to betray him with nothing other than a kiss. And this is what happens. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 48, it says, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And listen to this two-faced Judas. Going at once to him, Judas said, Greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Whew. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. He still called him friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Against all structures of every human civilization that tries to seize power and hold on to power and wield authority over others, Jesus Christ, the only one who actually had heavenly authority, did not draw his sword and chastised the one who did. How can you abandon the sword and instead take up the trusting powerlessness of Jesus? Note that Jesus had all the power in the universe. He was the only one that even had authority to wield it, and yet he says, let it be done. Whatever your sword is, whatever you cling to to seize autonomy or or to to sure control, which is an illusion, by the way. We don't have control over anything. Whatever it is that that you feel your fists start to clench in anger or rage. Whatever it is that gives you the urge to triumph and dominate another human being, whether with speech or with physical action, how can you drop your sword? And breathe in the freedom that comes in the trusting of Jesus. The final P is proclamation. Proclamation. We'll go back to Matthew nine here, and this is uh, one one verse that's that's telling of his entire ministry. In Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty five, says, "Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd." One of my favorite verses. How can we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ this week? The fourth P of the incarnation is proclamation, that Jesus came with a message. Jesus came with an announcement. Jesus came with good news. And can I say briefly that we've very uh, systematically watered down this good news to be some sort of doctrinal statement. This is news. This is a proclamation that God is good and God loves you. Who can you proclaim that to this week? Can you leave everything else at the door and and lead with that? There is a God and he loves you. There is a supreme ruler of the universe and he loves you with a love unlike any other. That's good news. Who needs to hear good news? Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for this good news. I thank you for loving us first. You tell us in in 1 John that uh, we know love because you are love. And you tell us in Romans that we know love because you died for us long before we deserved it. We know that this entire universe is breathing your love and i pray that today you would open our eyes the church's eyes to witness and experience your love that we would receive it that we would pour it out with others that we would be present with those that others that we would be in close proximity to those that we may not want to be around that we would choose the way of jesus the way of powerlessness and that we would proclaim that there is a God and he loves us. Thank you for this good news, Jesus. We love you so much. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.